Friday, September the 3rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Suga bowing out, and Ida devastates America's East Coast. First, the world in brief. Reports from Japan suggested that Suga Yoshihida will not participate in a vote for leadership of his Liberal Democratic Party in September, probably ending his tenure as Prime Minister after just one year. Mr Suga served as Abe Shinzo's Chief Cabinet Secretary and became Prime Minister when his boss resigned last September. His cabinet began with approval ratings above 70%, but have now dipped below 30% in some polls as Japan faces a relentless COVID-19 crisis. Yet despite his shortcomings, he had been expected to win the leadership vote. At least 40 people were reported dead along America's east coast after Tropical Storm Ida caused severe flooding. Over 150,000 homes lost power in New York, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. States of emergency remained in effect across the region on Thursday. The storm's strength as it travelled north from the Gulf Coast caught many by surprise. President Joe Biden turned his ire on America's Supreme Court after it chose not to strike down a draconian anti-abortion law in Texas. Mr Biden called the court's ruling a, quote, unprecedented assault on a woman's constitutional right under Roe v. Wade. Under the new bill, the public can receive bounties by suing anyone who plays even a bit part in aiding an abortion. The president promised to mobilise the federal government to, quote, insulate women from the impact of Texas's bizarre scheme. A British-born Islamic State fighter on trial in America pleaded guilty to killing four American hostages. Alexander Cote is accused of being part of an IS cell of four British men dubbed, quote, the Beatles, who tortured and killed hostages in Iraq and Syria in 2014 and 2015. Some were beheaded. Mr Cote was captured in 2018 and later stripped of his British citizenship. Executives at Renaissance, a New York-based hedge fund, agreed to pay $7 billion in back taxes and penalties, the largest tax settlement in America's history. The fund has been fighting the Internal Revenue Service over dues on trades it made in 2005 to 2015. Executives had logged earnings, not as short-term capital gains, but as long-term profits, which are taxed at a lower rate. Western Union and MoneyGram, two financial firms, resumed money transfers to Afghanistan after receiving approval from America's Treasury Department. Remittances to Afghanistan amounted to $789 million last year, 4% of its GDP, but they were halted after the Taliban seized the country. Exemptions to sanctions for remittances and humanitarian aid should offer some relief to Afghans. America's aviation regulator grounded Virgin Galactic's fleet and opened a, quote, mishap investigation into the firm after learning that the rocket plane carrying its founder, Richard Branson, into space in July deviated from its course. The vehicle dropped below the altitude at which it was approved to fly for 1 minute and 41 seconds during its descent. Virgin Galactic had planned another flight in a few weeks. And fact of the day, $47 billion, the value of Chinese-backed coal projects abroad that were suspended or terminated in 2019 and 2020.
And now here's today's agenda. Slow summer days. America's jobs market. Only a few months ago, job seekers prospects looked better than at any point since the pandemic hit. Cases of COVID-19 from the Delta variant had yet to surge and America's economy was roaring back. Employers added over 900,000 non-farm payrolls in each of June and July. But the momentum stalled in August. In today's jobs growth figures from the Labour Department, forecasters predict about 600,000 new non-farm jobs will have been created. The unemployment rate will probably stay flat or fall only slightly from 5.4% in July. In August, fewer people ate at restaurants and boarded flights than in July, as fear of contagion restrained spending. Yet as hiring fell, so too did jobless claims, a proxy for layoffs. That suggests a high turnover, with quitters searching for better wages and more flexibility, a pandemic trend dubbed, quote, the Great Resignation. Figures today will show how many of those quitters have managed to find better opportunities. Try, try again. Venezuela. The darkened rooms of Mexico's Museum of Anthropology contains relics of civilizations that rose and fell long ago. They formed an eerily suitable setting from which to launch the latest round of talks designed to move Venezuela beyond its current wretched era. Today, representatives from the regime of President Nicolas Maduro and the opposition will meet to try and find an end to the country's economic and political quagmire. It is the fifth time the two sides have held talks since 2013. This time, the negotiations will have international backing. Russia will assist the regime. The Netherlands will support the opposition, while Norway is to mediate. The opposition, which for over two years has tried to oust Mr Maduro while establishing its own, quote, interim government, has lowered its ambitions. Its main demand now is for fair elections. The regime might be prepared to give a little in return for the easing of international sanctions. Regime change. Afghanistan's new government. First came the conquest. Now comes the government. Afghanistan's Taliban rulers are soon expected to announce their new regime. After days of deliberation, Sheikh Haibatullah Akhundzada is expected to be confirmed in the top spot as supreme leader. Day-to-day governance will probably reside with Mullah Abdul Ghani Barada, a popular co-founder of the movement who has served as the group's deputy. A ruling council could be appointed to make many of the governing decisions, and here the insurgents may try to make minor concessions to inclusivity, awarding token seats to rival factions. The Taliban are thought to be wary of including figures who held positions in Ashraf Ghani's government. Former President Hamid Karzai has been angling for a role, but may be too closely associated with the American intervention. The new government will have an unenviable set of problems to overcome, including little money, a humanitarian crisis, international suspicion and an Islamic State insurgency. Wolf in Xien's Clothing? Fast Fashion's TV Rebrand Chinese-owned fast fashion brand Xien is having a makeover. On Sunday, it aired on social media the first full episode of its English-language reality show, Xien X 100K Challenge, 
which follows emerging designers as they compete to win $100,000. Xi'an is a giant of Gen Z style, commanding 28% of America's fast fashion market. It sells crop tops for as little as $3, offering a staggering 700 new designs each day. But its business model is less of a hit with independent designers, some of whom accuse the brand of stealing their work. The show turns that criticism on its head, presenting Xi'an as an incubator that nurtures new talent. Quote, be bold, be you, is its oft-repeated theme. Contestants champion black-owned businesses and styles for a range of body shapes. One gushes about the partnership she eventually built with the brand after Xi'an first copied her work. Others remain unimpressed. In fashion, image is everything. The brand clearly expects the show will give it a new sheen. Footnotes How Wokeism Spread Beyond America's College Campus When college campuses across America began to embrace wokeness, espousing vocabulary such as quote, Latinx, a gender-neutral term for a person of Latin American descent, and rejecting perceived imperialist systems, it was met with a collective shrug. That was just academia, right? Idris Kaloun, our Washington correspondent covering national politics, explains how a loose collection of ideas, once incubated in classrooms, has spread to politics, the press, and, most recently, businesses and secondary schools. This year, the California Department of Education proposed revisions to its mathematics curriculum, dedicating two full chapters to social justice education through maths. Idris notes that this may hint at where consciousness of oppression is headed. The work of Professor Ibrahim X. Kendi has become something of a manifesto for Americans increasingly concerned with social justice. In his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he contends that all racial inequalities are the result of international racist policy. In Nice Racism, Robin DiAngelo, author and recent addition to the woke canon, argues that good-natured white progressives unintentionally harm non-white people through their words and gestures. On the other side of the coin, First Amendment expert Greg Lukianov and social psychologist Jonathan Haidt bemoan the state of elite American universities. In The Coddling of the American Mind, they argue that safetyism among young students has made them more fragile. Adrian Waldridge, The Economist's political editor, looked back at the 19th and 20th centuries to research the clash between liberalism and the clerical state. Both W.E.H. Leckie's book on the influence of rationalism in Europe and J.B. Berry's book A History of Freedom of Thought make an eloquent case for how precious freedom is and how hard-won are its bounties. For more from Idris and Adrian, read this week's cover story. Summer Quiz The Winners Week 7 This week, we randomly picked winners from hundreds of correct entries and are crowning one for each continent. First, the answers. James Cagney won an Oscar for his role in Yankee Doodle Dandy. Colombo is the most populous city in Sri Lanka. A traditional arrow maker is known as a Fletcher. And Magnum is a type of ice cream, the name for a bottle of champagne and a type of gun. The theme connecting them all is TV Detectives. Kudos and celebrations for our knowledgeable winners. Asia, Manish Akuth, Bangalore, India. 
Africa, Will Grant, Johannesburg, South Africa, North America, Michael Robbins, Santa Fe, New Mexico, United States, South America, Alejandro Yara, Santiago, Chile, Europe, Colin Davies, Sheffield, Britain, Oceania, Nick Green, Melbourne, Australia. There were no entries from Antarctica. Thank you to this week's detectives. Stay tuned for an even trickier set of questions next week. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Oliver Cromwell, who died on this day in 1658. No one rises so high as he who knows not whither he is going. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 